Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to the final episode of the second series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. According to research by the Corporate Research Forum, 69% of organisations with 10,000 employees or more now have a people analytics team. The reality is perhaps not so rosy, as in my experience, many of these teams are still essentially restricted to reporting and not really doing analytics. At least it shows the ambition is there. One organisation that is definitely doing people analytics is Nestle. And since the arrival in June 2016 of Jordan Petman, our guest on the show this week, as Global Head of People Data Analytics and Planning, the progress has been remarkable. In this episode, Jordan and I discuss key milestones in, the, in Nestle's people analytics journey, how he grew capability in the team both centrally and regionally in line with Nestle's decentralised business model. We talk about some examples of projects undertaken, including one that helped address the gender pay gap. We also talk about what excites and concerns Jordan about the continual growth of people analytics. And like with all our guests on the show, we also look into the crystal ball and ponder what the role of HR will be in 2025. This episode is a must listen for anyone in a people analytics role, as well as HR and business professionals interested in how people data can drive business outcomes and support initiatives in areas like diversity and inclusion. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 2 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ClickIQ. ClickIQ is an automated job advertising platform that uses the latest AI and programmatic technology to manage, track and optimise the performance of your recruitment advertising in real time. Spend is focused where it's needed most to reach both active and passive job seekers across Indeed, Google, Facebook, and an extensive network of job boards. To find out more about ClickIQ, please visit clickiq.co.uk. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Jordan Petman to the Digital HR Leaders podcast and video series. Jordan is the Global Head of People Analytics at Nestle. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. It's great to have you here. Can you give listeners a, a, a quick introduction to your background and your role at Nestle and also your vision for people analytics as well? Certainly. So, hello, listeners. Um, I'm Jordan Bettman. As David says, I lead people analytics at Nestle. And I guess that means that uh, my team has responsibility for managing everything from data standards through standard reporting, all of the fun stuff we do in analytics, whether it's diagnostic and descriptive through to some of the more predictive stuff. Uh, and then into strategic workforce planning. And then we get to play in some of the more uh, interesting parts of the world, like machine learning and AIs and robots, which is cool. Um, and I guess my background that got me there is, is kind of 15 years-ish um, before that, consulting in the same space. So I, I worked at IBM and at SAP, SuccessFactors, a little company called Inform, and all kind of specializing in more the, the business end of, of that analytics consulting. So um, don't ask me about building cubes or writing code or any of that stuff, because I would lie, um, but uh, certainly in terms of engaging with the business and helping them to understand and quantify their problems so they're a bit more solvable is is what I do. And I guess that then is kind of related to what I see as what the role of people analytics is. I think it is the, the, the partnering with business leaders to help them better articulate their problems so that they can be quantified so that you can pull more insight into the decision-making process around how you solve for them. 
Well, don't worry, we're not going to ask you about code or cubes. Excellent. Because I would be also stumbling onto ground that I don't <laughs> fully understand. Um, your, head of, your global head of people analytics, Nestle's obviously got over 300,000 employees. We do. What's actually involved in being a global head of people analytics? Um, I think for my role in particular, there's quite a lot of uh, consultancy, definitely, um, in terms of aligning all of our different businesses and different geographies and our, our very different um, agendas in the people space around being able to do things in a consolidated way. Um, and it's a real integration role as well. You know, uh, we, we are big um, and a, a function of being big means that we are everywhere and there are a lot of different businesses that our geographies manage. Uh, and so what that means is that there's there's very rarely a global initiative that everyone's getting around and doing in the same way analytically at any given point in time. What it does mean is that when problems are happening in our businesses, it's unlikely that it's a truly unique problem. Uh, and so a big role that that I play and that my team in, in our center plays is really being well connected to each of our regional people analytics teams to make sure that we're never reinventing the wheel, that when we've developed a solution for a business in Latin America, that we can pick up that solution and redeploy it in Asia or redeploy it in Europe and really push a, a move in our maturity in the way that we use analytic solutions by continually reusing and revamping and improving the things that we've done across time, um, which is exciting. Uh, and then I guess there's there's the less exciting stuff as well, right? Like having arguments around what is FTE and what is headcount and who do we count in and who do we count out and making sure that everyone does do that consistently. So I think um, operating in that corporate space as distinct from the global space, you know, there's a real drive and a real need to make sure that when we talk about numbers at a corporate level, that we are consistently and very deliberately speaking about numbers in the same way everywhere. And, you know, Nestle is quite, I mean, if you compare, certainly in comparison to IBM, Nestle is quite a mm -hmm. decentralized organization. We sure are. So what extra challenges does that bring to your role operating from the corporate so it's, I think that challenge really highlighted itself for me maybe a year into working at Nestle. Um, you know, I joined knowing that Nestle was this global brand and I was joining the corporate center and this was going to be great because I was going to get in and make decisions and push an agenda forward. Um, and, you know, we spent kind of a year developing solutions and showcasing how you could connect engagement data to business data and connect that to how we might develop leaders differently and Whilst our senior leadership in the center were, were really engaged with it and interested and, and convinced that these were great things that we could do, it wasn't at the coalface of the business. So those things that we were developing weren't actually changing the way that business leaders who were driving our businesses were making those decisions differently. So it was at about the year in that we'd started moving my team out into regions where we were having that direct relationship at the coalface, so to speak, um, where we fundamentally shifted the approach that we were taking. And so rather than being kind of more of a traditional hub and spoke where we build in the center and we deploy in the regions, we really took on that co-creation, very collaborative approach to developing things for our businesses in the regions and making sure that everyone had access to them. And I think that's actually probably the, the turning point that helped us to accelerate a little bit faster because the, the things that we were focusing on in our teams in the regions were directly helping businesses to answer questions. 
And they just happened to be able to be picked up and reused for other business leaders to, to answer those questions. And then thinking about the way that rolls up, you know, instead of then saying, here is an interesting piece of analytics that's been done and here are all those linkages and things that you could do, the discussions we now have are, here are all of these interesting pieces of analytics and the linkages that we've done and the things that businesses have done as a result. Um, and it really drives a different dialogue at the centre. Great. And so you've been in the role for three years. Obviously, mm -hmm. that was a key milestone after the first year, that kind of realisation and maybe shift in direction. What have been some of the other key milestones along the journey? Um, I think our, our first one, and it happened relatively early in my tenure, was creating and rolling out our global set of, of HR dashboards and reports. Um, we just hadn't done it previously. Um, there were certainly pockets of Nestle that had you know, use the technology available to us, whether it was Microsoft or SAP or whatever, to create very localized things. Mm. But that had created a, a bit of a monster because it meant that in country A, headcount was counted one way and in country B, it was counted differently. And in, in terms of rolling things up at the corporate center, what that meant was that, you know, to do any kind of quarterly reporting, it would take one of my team at least three weeks a quarter to go around to everyone and find out what their numbers were and push them together and try to get some kind of sense around what we were reporting. Um, and that we, we finally stopped doing that recently, but it's been about an 18-month process from starting to push out, you know, these are the rules around measurement. Um, and these are the numbers that we look at at the center. And if your numbers are different the onus of, of explanation really fell to the market to be able to explain why they were choosing to differ from corporate numbers. Um, we've kind of got to the point now where they're not, which is awesome. And so actually at the end of Q1 uh, this year, so it's about an 18-month difference from rolling out these global dashboards to the end of Q1 this year, um, we finally agreed with our HR leadership team that we will no longer spend three weeks a quarter, manually smushing numbers together to create a PowerPoint presentation of KPIs. Um, we now have our leadership dashboards. They access their leadership dashboards. And the support that my team now gives to them is not about creating PowerPoint presentations. Oh. It's about going and spending you know, an hour with each member of our leadership team and saying, here's what's happening if we navigate through these dashboards for your population Let's talk about what the priorities are that we should talk about collectively um, because everyone's facing this same spike in attrition or change in recruiting or we look like we're a distance from this target. Mm. So it's a, a huge milestone in my mind um, because it means that the people that are in my team that, you know, what excites them is not producing PowerPoint presentations. What excites them is supporting the business to, to drive change and make better decisions. And we're now doing that. Um, I think the other big milestone that we've got is, is around um, having enabled all of our markets to start approaching things like gender pay equity in a, in a standard and uh, statistically sound way, um, in approaching um, attrition risk in, in a statistically sound way and, and standard way as well. So kind of using, using all of that stuff together in, in moving our agenda, both around data and standard reporting, and then doing things that are business impacting all at the same time. You know, well, I think the milestones that we're now going to start seeing is markets being less reactive to, uh, to what my team can propose to them as a solution and start to think about 
and what their new problems are because we have kind of moved ourselves through standardising our rules, standardising our dashboards, getting leadership buy-in that we don't want PowerPoints anymore to, you know, okay, we've got the information now, we can self-serve. Now, you know, let's start identifying these new solutions that we could be working on together. So what you can actually do with the analytics rather than what it looks like. Exactly, exactly. So three years, it's probably been quite a journey, Mm -hmm. flown by in many respects as well. So what does a team look like today in comparison to three years years? ago? Obviously, you, you kindly invited me in to, to meet the team yeah. back in London, I think, in January. Mm-hmm. And I was struck by a very large team, but mm-hmm. also they come from many different countries, but also a very cohesive unit as well. Yeah. It's, uh, so I guess when I joined, I had a, a team that basically did reporting at the centre and we were building a strategic workforce planning capability then. Um, and that was kind of it from a, a global point of view. We had uh, a team here in the UK that had existed for some time a couple of teams in the US that had also existed for some time, but really focused on on sort of single country, single market, um, and really being very reactive to those those very specific business needs. So we had lots of, of US and UK-centric business intelligence happening, lots of very US and UK-centric you know, research and survey and, and that sort of stuff. Um, and at that point, you know, the skill set was kind of more heavily in the in the BI space. So how could we pull data together and push it out in a way that was meaningful to HR business partners? Had some IO psychology predominantly in, in our US businesses, really focused on some of the researchy type stuff that we do. Um, and then, yeah, one person that was doing strategic planning. Um, today, we've got about 36 in, in the network that report in to me um, approaching about 50 in in a broader network of people who only do people analytics work but might report to a, a market-based HR director yep. rather than in the people analytics um, structure. And the, the skill set is actually pretty wide now. Um, so we have we have people whose real focus is on supporting businesses to adhere to data rules. Um, and so understanding what our standards are, understanding how we create not those kind of technical documents that we're all familiar with in a data standard sense and, and more the, the guidelines around how we can teach from a data specialism, HR business partners or talent people, that when you're transacting in these self-service platforms that we've got, it's really important that you use this value when you mean this thing. Yeah. Or you use that value when you mean that thing. And you never mix those up because the downstream impacts are these things. So a real, it's kind of a, a very consultative role, but really about um, enhancing HR's knowledge and capability and using data quite operationally. Um, we still have quite a focus on, on the BI piece. There's a lot of work that they're doing at the moment in terms of trying to streamline what our center pushes down in terms of what the really important things are to measure, but also how we enable our local businesses to do their reporting in that same framework. Obviously recognizing that as an analytics team, we do not want to be involved in doing regulatory reporting to governments to claim funding for learning. But we need to make sure that we're not creating cottage industry and markets where they create a whole reporting platform that is contrary to what we're doing. So there's a lot of support we do there. Um, we've hired for quite a lot of, um, I guess it, it's kind of a consulting skill set. So really working with HR directors and their man comms in our businesses 
to help them to better articulate the challenges that they've got in in business problems driven out of people to then help what our next skill set which is then in the the real doing of analytics we have some data scientists we have some psychologists some statisticians who are then kind of that engine behind how do we decide what model we want to use to tackle answering that problem how do we push that into a tool that enables compensation people or hr business partners to approach these problems themselves uh, and then obviously our, our HR strategy stuff around the, the strategic people planning. So it is, it's a really interesting blend of skills. And I think, you know, we we have really set ourselves up as a generalist team. Yeah. You know, there isn't a, a specific stream for workforce planning alone. And that's, um, that is really deliberate because I know we, we do have quite a few people um, but inside of our HR population, we're pretty small. And inside our line manager population, we're even smaller. Uh, and so in order to serve the needs of the populations that we need to serve, all of the team are broadly generalists, but they have a strength in one area or the other. Um, and then the way that we've structured ourselves, we're really trying to operate as a globally networked team rather than individual teams. So where we have um, a shallow depth of experience in one region in data science, we'll be uh, experience rich in another part of the world. Yeah. And so we can kind of support each other globally to do those things. I was really struck when I came to meet the team how cohesive it was. Mm. Um, and that's not always the case when you see global people and analytics teams come together. No, and I, I mean, I think that's partially due to design because we needed to operate that way and, and we built this this generalist, if you will, team. I think um, something else that, that drives that a little bit, I think, is, is potentially the cultures and languages that we all work in. You know, Nestle's business language is, is English, which is great for the Australian based in Switzerland who, whose French is abysmal. <laughs> Um, and so we, we do all work in English, which is is super, but many of the populations that we serve are not. Uh, and so, you know, if, if we have one of our experts dialing in from the UK to support a project in Ecuador, it's absolutely likely that uh, that the people that we're working with on the other end don't speak English as well as, as the analytics team will. And so the, the need to operate really pretty seamlessly as a team, regardless of where we happen to be, it's just been so important for serving the, the clients that we serve. Um, and there's been quite a lot of work that some of the team have done in terms of um, the measuring cultural preferences for the way that people work as well and really trying to line up the client relationship between some of our markets and the natural preferences that we have in our team versus the way that we work within our team, which is then far more cohesive and far more kind of fluid at any given time. So it's been a fun experience to, to build it out. It continues to be a fun experience. And of course, you work on a number of global initiatives as a team as well. Indeed. I've seen you and Andre as well present mm-hmm. the really good work that you've done around gender pay analysis. Mm-hmm. It'd be great, I think, for the listeners who haven't been to some of those conferences really to just hear a little bit about the what, what you've achieved there. Sure. Let's, I think this project is it's probably one of the more exciting things that we've worked on purely because... It's not analytics for analytics sake and it's not analytics for creating a, um, a justification for something or a, a, a dashboard. You know, it's, it's responding to a really key business initiative that our CEO made statements at the United Nations and the International Labour Organization 
um, saying that, you know, at Nestle, where we're taking diversity and inclusion really seriously and something that we really want to focus on is uh, understanding and improving the way that we remunerate our employees, men and women, um, which, you know, I think is is a huge statement for, for Nestle to make. You know, we are, we're a big production company, right? You know, we, we create food and, and beverages, and that means that we have lots of factories and distribution centers, and traditionally, that's a male-oriented workforce. So I think it's a, a really exciting thing that we've been able to support analytically, because making those statements externally that we will understand the way we remunerate people and seek to improve that means that everywhere in the world has to be able to measure pay gap and measure pay equity. Uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was kind of, it fell to us to enable the business to do this. Um, and so we built a pretty slick tool. Um, one of our, our IO psychologists built pretty simple stepwise regression in, in R is the, the statistical package we use, and then built a front end um, in Shiny that um, is basically built to enable someone that isn't an analytics bod to measure something statistically and present it back to their leadership team in a way that helps the leadership team make decisions. So it's kind of very step-by-step, you know, look for these elements of data in your local HR system, download them, put them into this Excel structure, make sure that there are no gaps, make sure there are no blanks, make sure that the date format is this, load it up, and then it steps through the regression model. And then at the end, it shows you, you know, how strong your relationship is, whether the gap is systemic or not, whether the gap is just um, in, in particular pockets, and then kind of guides you through what the interpretation of all of the charts that the tool spits out are as well. So when you then, when, when a, an HR business partner or a reward manager who isn't necessarily statistically trained is having these discussions with the head of HR and with their mancom, they can really confidently be saying, you know, here is the way that our pay looks in terms of men and women. And that gap or that lack of gap is either across the board or it's not. And that means the strategies that we need to be thinking about to correct these things is either systemic or point. And then when we cost these things out, we can then start to talk about the impact of executing strategy X to level out our our pay equity lines. Now it's a, I think it's a really powerful demonstration of the fact that you, know, you approaching these problems in an analytical way enables non-analytics people to really have genuine impact both on the business, given that this is a real business initiative, but you know, on on people. And I think particularly in, in the people analytics world where many of us employ psychologists, you know, having a real impact on people's lives is absolutely something yeah. that is intrinsic to what we want to do, not just not just within HR, but because a lot of us are psychologists. I think it's been it's been a really great project, both for Nestle but my team as well. Lots of hard work and lots of heavy lifting and lots of horrible data cleansing and all of that sort of stuff. But um, fundamentally, the sort of project that we want to be involved in. And I guess the great thing about it, because it's obviously quite high profile, it's a topic mm. that's come right from the top within the organisation. It, it raises a profile of people analytics as well. Exactly, exactly. And I think it, it calls into relief that... No, people analytics isn't this mystery shrouded in mystique. It's it's a an approach to problem solving that we worked directly in partnership with our diversity and inclusion group 
and with our reward group, and that together we've made something that could have been a problem for one or the other of those groups to tackle much, much simpler and much much more straightforward because you know you're applying that science and rigor that an analytics group brings to a topic that I mean it's not particularly esoteric, but you know a topic that could have been very, very difficult for mm. one or the other of those groups to solve. So I think in terms of raising the profile of of people analytics, it's it's not that people analytics has delivered the we're not the knight in shining armor saving women's salaries everywhere. It's that we're intrinsically a partner to other parts of HR and other parts of the business because we can help them do things better, faster, smarter. Perfect. Well, as I said, it's, it's very impressive. It always goes down well at conferences mm. when I've seen you and, and Andre deliver the story. Any other, any other projects that you've worked on over the last few years where you, you, can, you can share some of the experiences and some of the outcomes as well? With, yeah, with I mean, I think one of my favourites to talk about is, is the work that we've done across a bunch of different approaches to, to flight risk. Um, you know, we, we've talked to, a couple of my team have talked to conferences about this as well. Um, I think the, the approach that we're now taking to talking about this with the business has really evolved across time. And I think that's probably why it's my favorite. You know, we, um, we, we started out by looking at things like logistic regression to predict the list of people who are going to leave. Um, and that was interesting. Um, and it was, the, the different parts of the business we did that in, it was uh, sometimes very accurate and sometimes not so accurate. Um, we looked at some supervised machine learning and, and it then decided that clustering was the way that we were going to predict attrition. And again, that kind of gave us a list that sometimes was pretty accurate and sometimes was less accurate. Uh, we then moved into doing survival analysis, which we thought was super cool. You know, the analytics team, we were like, yes, this is super statistics. It's driven out of pharmaceutical. Like, how smart are we? Not only do we get the list, we get the, the drivers of it. We get the time frame, gods of saving people we are in, in, in people analytics. Um, and it was pretty pretty accurate. But my Lord, was it heavy. Um, and so, you know, across the way, we'd, we'd quantified the impact of, of using these models and sometimes, uh, and in some of the, the survival analysis stuff, we were really able to say, you know, by saving these particular people at this particular time, the impact on cost per hire and the impact of the, the cost of turnover was really exciting. And, you know, our, our HR population were then able to go and say, you know, by, by doing these things analytically, we've saved money. And we've been able to spend that money in better ways than hiring these people. Um, but at the same time, what it's kind of highlighted to us is that what we were doing as the result of these things was taking the output of these models and then going, well, who of these people leaving do we wish wouldn't? Um, and if we could identify who we wished wouldn't, what would we do to keep them? We'd, we'd go and talk to them. We'd understand what what might cause them to leave if they were someone that we wished would stay and, and then do something about that. Um, and you know what? If you know who you wish would stay, you don't need a statistical model to tell you who we think is going to leave. And so our whole approach to, to measuring flight risk and our whole approach to working with businesses to better manage their flight risk still uses the statistics if we need to. But what we're far more likely to do is start to look at historical attrition, look at the pockets of, of places 
where attrition is happening and then help people to work through, well, how would you identify which of that population you wanted to stay? And then here's a framework and here's a toolkit for you to go and talk to those people, encourage them to stay. And then you don't need to invest so heavily in these statistical models, unless we decide that actually it's, it's a return on investment in you doing these things. Um, you know, as an analytics leader, I guess I should be trying to, to sell the statistically difficult stuff. Um, but I think it's been a really interesting, a, a really interesting twist in events for us that actually the, the real business benefit oftentimes is, is in keeping it simple, as, mm. uh, as we so often hear, which is cool. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you don't necessarily need sophisticated analytics. It's mm. about the business question you're trying to solve, really, isn't it? And, exactly. And the impact it has. So um, that's an interesting story about this, how that's kind of evolved. And, and what's, what's kind of next? What's, what's the direction of the team for maybe the next 12 to 18 months? Any specific projects that you're looking on? I know you've got yeah. workforce planning, for example. And yeah, so workforce planning is kind of a constant. It's, um, it's one of the things that, I guess, is the, the thing that ties us to the rest of the HR function in terms of what we continually deliver on, on an annual basis is support to our businesses to do their strategic planning. Uh, and so that's kind of continues to evolve. Again, we started with a pretty heavy approach to quantitatively forecasting the number of heads and bodies and what skills they needed um, and have moved in recent times to a bit more of an, an a la carte menu approach where depending on where the business is, sometimes we'll do that heavy quantitative forecasting, particularly in heavy production environments. Um, but where we're seeing far more of a focus on helping business leaders to, to think a little bit more agilely. And uh, if they're planning every year, probably don't need to update a quantitative forecast for a five-year period every year. But we might want to look at the things that we could do in the light of retirement risk, if we've got an aging population, or in light of having a, a weaker or stronger succession plan for our key roles. And some of that strategic planning is really about pulling in different analyses from a bit of a menu and saying, well, what is it in HR that you're going to do to support the business differently this year? And how can we bring analytics to bear in your decision-making around that? Which I think will continue to evolve. Uh, and then the other big thing that we're working on at the moment is shifting from our traditional way of doing engagement survey to being a little bit more continually collecting and supporting the business to react to, to insight. Um, and so in January, we, we started to launch what we're calling our Nestle and I Insights Strategy. Sounds very grand, but uh, it's effectively um, a, way, a way of enabling people in our markets who aren't necessarily full-time analytics people, but are those point people in our HR teams that partner with our HR directors, that partner with our mancoms, to help them to think about what is it that we want to engage with people about this year because we want to talk to them about a strategy or we want to talk to them about how they're feeling about senior leaders or how engaged they are or how change ready they are in, in one of our transformations and how do we ask those questions, how do we frame them in a way that business leaders can make decisions with it and how do we really rapidly go back to the people that have taken the time out to give us those insights and tell them that we understood them, that we've used them, that we're, this is the impact that they're having on their decision making. And that's, um, it's, it's a big evolutionary change that Nestle is making in that space. And um, so we've been on the journey for about a year. And I think in the next sort of 18, 24 months, 
you'll see a, a real shift in the way that we're go, that we're doing that from from a top down, um, really moving to being a little bit more agile, a little bit more content and decision making focused, um, and hearing a little bit more about the way that our businesses are maturing in that space, which I'm really excited about. So it's not something that many of my previous roles had a lot of hands-on work in. So it's personally really rewarding because I'm getting to, to shape something um, new that's that's genuinely new for me as well. It's cool. And any plans to sort of incorporate sort of machine learning or network analysis into some of the work that you're doing? Uh, certainly in, in some of our more experimental um, projects, we're, we're doing a bit of that. We've done uh, some ONA uh, in the US and in Australia, and there's a... Uh, there's a rumor that we might be doing something in Europe as well. We'll see. Um, but uh, I think we're really trying to be trying to be as focused as possible on driving business results yeah. with those sorts of analyses rather than doing something cool. Just for the sake of it, yeah. Because yeah, um, as cool as that is, you know, in, in order to move away from doing things in, a, in an active resource heavy way to do something at scale across something as big as Nestle, we really need to be able to say, you know, this was the problem, this was the investment. And if we started to invest more cleverly in some of the more passive ways of doing ONA, these are the sort of business results that we could be delivering as a result. But you know, there, there is definitely some stuff happening there. Um, and we are actually working currently on a, a robot. Um, so it is a I guess it's an AI, um, but it's in our reporting space at the moment. We've spent quite a lot of time in the people analytics team so far teaching that robot all of our weird and wonderful acronyms and uh, all of our uh, reporting measurement standards. And um, what we're seeking to do in the next little while is to start getting that out into our businesses where we can further have it educated about local stuff yeah. and then launch it in a way that Know, removes that email from an HR director to their HR services person asking for how many women there are in leadership and moving that to be the same effort from the HR director but asking a robot that question. I mean, the robot go knowing all of the acronyms, knowing the local content, knowing all of the things about that person asking the question because we know their job, we know where they're located, we know the country they're in interrogating our business warehouse directly and, and responding with that number. So instead of uh, the response time on that sort of thing being completely reliant on how much time the HR services person has to go and run the report, and if they see the email in time to get it to the HR director for their meeting, that stuff becomes you know, real-time operationally with a robot, which is pretty exciting as well. Um, not launched yet, but, uh, but on the cusp is it's cool it's the sort of stuff that um, that my team do get really excited about i think particularly in that that ai robot space yeah i think there's there's so much scope to to teach an ai about some of our process stuff you know imagine imagine the sort of scale we could get on a, a robot that knew our performance management process and instead of it being hr people asking it a question it was a line manager asking for just some some quick tips on what I should be doing at this time of year in my check-ins. Um, you know, the, the time that we stand to save HR business partners in, in that kind of hand-holding operational work and give back to them in supporting better strategy decisions being made, I think is, is huge. But, um, but small steps, we need to prove that we're actually solving for, for some of that time wastage before we roll it too far.
So obviously some great stuff at Nestle and lots lots of exciting things ahead mm -hmm. as well. So if we bring it back to the sort of people analytics as a field, mm -hmm. you know, what excites you most about what's going on at the moment or or could happen in the future? I mean, I think for me, the the things that I'm seeing that are exciting in this field is definitely in the space of um, of business impact. And I think if if you look at any of the presentations that you start seeing in in conferences today, the analytics content is so high, and it's not being delivered by the likes of you and I. Like it's not analytics people talking about how we used. This, this fancy dashboard to support business leaders making better decisions. And it's it's not us talking about how we used a predictive model to, a, to predict attrition. It, it's about business leaders saying, because we were able to do this stuff and the analytic stuff is almost by the by, it, it's becoming about the way that HR is quantifying its impact to, to changing business results. I think that's the really exciting stuff. I think the... The challenge for people, analytics people, is to see that that is the light at the end of the tunnel when the tunnel that you're wading through, which might involve talking to people about the difference between FTE and headcount again, or wading through a, a data cleanse before you can pull it into the model that's going to support this stuff. You know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is genuinely that HR is really starting to, to get it, yep. so to speak. And I don't know that that's so true in in the last sort of five ten years i really feel like there were there were battles to be fought to have people understand the value that people analytics brought across that period and i really feel like that's changing yeah i, th I think you're right i mean you know like me you've been going to conferences for a long time and it seemed up until even 18 months ago everyone was talking about what people analytics is and why people should do it mm -hmm. and that's really moved to the the how and then the what, the what it delivers, as you said, the business outcomes yep. it delivers or the employee outcomes it delivers. And I think that's a, a good sign for the field's health moving forward. Yeah. So, so that's what excites you. What what scares you? Or, or what, oh, you my know, gosh. What, what is your biggest worry about the space? What's scary? What's scary and what, what continues to worry me is that the, the problems that were always there are still there, right? And like we're, we still haven't really tackled that HR data quality broadly is really challenging um, and it, that it's not necessarily something that's that's endemic in, in people analytics it's in HR mm. um, and, you know it, it's still something that we're having the same conversations about like how do we educate the broader HR population to really get it how do we help them to understand the impact and influence they have on your ability to do anything cool at the point of data entry mm. um, and as a result you know it means that Whilst technology is, is evolving and whilst the application of analytics in business is, is becoming more and more exciting, there is still this danger that those of us who work in, in analytics roles will continue to be sucked in. Why is Susie not in that number and why is John in that number? And like that, that real deep data, horrible reporting black hole that, uh, that we do still spend quite a lot of time in. Um, and I think for us to to really accelerate on the cool stuff and for us to really keep pace with the rest of business in using artificial intelligence in the right way, we really need to manage that rest of HR doing their bit in the people analytics space to enable that to happen. And it it does it does continue to maybe not keep me up at night, but uh, 
certainly keep me in a healthy supply of red wine. Yeah, I think it's a, it is a challenge. I mean, hopefully the more people see the business outcomes as to what analytics mm. can deliver, the more that encourages everyone to actually, as you said, put the data in the right place and actually the HR business partners and the wider HR population to actually be excited about analytics because mm. it supports them in their day-to-day -day work. Yeah. So it will be an interesting as, yeah. as, it, as it unwinds. Let's, I think we're all working on it. Like, mm. a, And a, you talk to any of my peers, it's something that we all talk about. It's um, And it's not that we're not addressing that worry. It's, um, it's a, a long-term worry. So the space is evolving quickly. Mm -hmm. um, how do you learn yourself? I think I'm, I mean, I'm pretty fortunate in that I have a, a relatively good network of, of people, analytics people. Um, and so anytime I do have challenges or that I, that I don't know an answer, I, uh, I can reach out pretty quickly to a, a bunch of very educated professional people in the space and, and really leverage my, my peer network in this space. Now, I would say that I do that a lot. Um, there's a bit of reading that I do. I think the same as many of us, David, I, I read your blogs religiously, of course. I'm, I'm not paying you to say <laughs> that, but I will write a check. Um, but there, there's so much out there that, that can be read at the moment um, that I think that's that's really the way that I encourage my team to stay to stay current as well. I think... I, I would confess to not having as much time to stay current as, as I would like to. And so shamelessly, we've actually set up what we're calling our, our Global People Analytics Connect, um, which is a at minimum once every second month. And depending on whether there's cool stuff going on um, more regularly, where we're having our, our people across the team, and whether that's a leader or whether it's one of our very junior people that have just learned a new thing about managing data or this cool new thing in Power BI that we can do. We're really encouraging the people in our teams to share what they're learning with yeah. all of us to learn. And it's, you know, I think at Nestle, you know, we're not going to teach people how to be statisticians or, or IO psychologists. You know, we teach people about the process that takes a coffee bean from a tree to a cup. Yeah. We teach people about how to, to make uh, baby formula or, or what have you. Um, and so it, the, the learning that I can do and the learning that my team can do is unlikely to be, um, you know, part of the, the, the Nestle delivered stuff. And it, so it is really about engaging with networks, picking a conference that actually has the content in it yeah. that you're interested in. And there are, there are a bunch today that really do deliver really slick, interesting, real life presentations from, from real businesses who are really doing it. Um, and I think I can, I'm one of those people that was a consultant for long enough that um, with love in my heart, I can say that consultants will tell you all kinds of things, right? Because it was our job to sell what our capabilities were to you. Um, pick a conference that consultants are at because they do do lots of research and they do bring the cool stuff. But pick a conference where some of your peers are presenting what they work on. Because if it's happened in a business, then you can make it happen too. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So we now move to the, the last question, which is the question we ask every guest on the show. Mm -hmm. um, and is it, where do you see the role of HR in 2025? Mm -hmm. so, um, we've been talking about this recently, actually. Um, and I suspect that I have a controversial view in Nestle. And I, I don't know how contribu controversial elsewhere. But I, I kind of think, particularly my role in, in people analytics within HR, now I kind of see us evolving towards being, it's almost that, that Jiminy Cricket 
conscience character um, for businesses. If you think about the speed with which we are evolving our technologies, our ability to use data from all over the place, whether it's social or personal or, or what have you, you know, I don't think that HR is not going to start using AIs. You know, I don't think that we're not going to apply machine learning to loads of our processes um, that enable us to be faster, leaner, smarter, better. I think our role really needs to start moving into that space where we're applying the human element to all of the cool tools that we're able to use to make these things move faster. Now, I think um, the, the GDPR launching mid last year, I think really called into relief our role in that space where, you know, a lot of the examples given are in financial and it's, it's about not making decisions algorithmically because that could impact someone financially. But if you think about that in the context of an organization, you know, HR technologies and HR systems that design an employee experience are going to start doing that algorithmically. Um, and I think that HR really needs to embrace their role of being that conscience inside of all of that technology where you know, we need to make sure that the technologies are providing these digital experiences to people that are kind of across the board and not exclusionary, that you know, we know AIs and machine learning algorithms have a penchant for doing. Um, and there's there's enough of them in media about you know the the chatbot on Twitter that became racist in under thirty six hours. You know we have a real responsibility to make sure that HR tech and HR practices don't do that. Yeah, I'd agree. I, mean, I think the the ethics part, the responsibility part, is is going to mm. increasingly fall to to people analytics leaders. Well, we'll have you back in five years and find out. Yeah, let's see. So thank you very much for being on the show, John. Jordan. Pleasure. It's been a pleasure Thanks, as ever. How can people stay in touch with you? Uh, all of the usual ways, I guess. So uh, LinkedIn is, I think I'm just slash Jordan Petman. Twitter is ridiculously all lowercase and J underscore LP because Twitter existed before I was someone that might be, that the people would be interested in following. But so sure, J underscore LP. Um, and that that's kind of it. Follow me. There's lots of photos of Swiss sunsets <laughs> and uh, and wines and, and then obviously uh, interesting people analytics things. And we're never going to complain about wine. Jordan, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on iTunes and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make this podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest news on the future of HR, and you can also subscribe to my newsletter there too. That's all for this week, and also this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. But don't worry, we'll be back after a summer break when Series 3 launches on 27th of August, where our guest will be the one and only Dave Ulrich. Stay tuned to myhrfuture.com for updates. If you haven't listened to the other episodes, go to myhrfuture.com and you can find all the previous episodes with Sharon Doherty, Edward Houghton, Didier Elzinger, Yvette Cameron, Eden Britt, Nick Holly, Katerina Berg, Richard Collins, and Catalina Sheveninga. Goodbye for now, and see you next time.